0: Previously on Discover the Word. We spent all last week talking about Jonah, and we left him in the belly of a fish. And so for all weekend, Jonah's been stuck in this fish, which is actually a good amount of time because Mm -hmm. that's about how long he was actually in the fish. That's right. That was brilliant Um, of you, Daniel. Good job.
1: I did that on purpose. Uh, No, not really. Okay, so what happens to him now? And so now we begin part two of a series of conversations Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are having called Surprise! A study of the Old Testament minor prophet Jonah. And in episode one we saw that this short little book began with the familiar biblical phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now in Bible times prophets like Jonah often received a message from God. And the most common response was for the prophet to do whatever it was God asked him or her to do. But surprise, not Jonah. Jonah ran away from God, got on a boat, and tried to sail to the other side of the known world. Obviously, that's not going to turn out great. And we left Jonah in a spot that he's most famous for being, and that is in the belly of a great fish. Continue to explore the surprising story and message of Jonah with the group next on Discover the Word. And it is great to have you here with us for the second half of this two-part podcast about the amazing story of Jonah. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, and Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel are at the table waiting for you to get back into the study of a familiar story for many from the Old Testament, the story of Jonah and the great fish. But as I said, we're calling it Surprise, because that word really does describe what we're discovering about not only the story told in these four short chapters, but also the message that it communicates. And uh, in the end of part one, we left off at the midpoint of the book and actually left Jonah, cliffhanger, in the belly of that fish. And so now let's take the next step and get Jonah out of the predicament that he's in. Daniel is leading, and he has this question for the rest of the group to get episode two of Surprise started. Have you ever
2: seen a TV series or a movie that ends with a cliffhanger? every year every year (laughs) year, they end with a cliffhanger and got to wait till the fall to see what Mm -hmm. gets resolved in it
3: remember back to the days of Dallas, who shot jr that dates me i know but i remember that
2: yeah i don't like them
4: (laughs) (laughs) you like resolution right yeah i want some happy i remember downton abbey how angry i was at the end of that one season yeah. Where finally these two lovers were going to mm-hmm. have a life. Yep. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Literally. I hated it. Yeah. I think others didn't like that so much either.
2: Yeah. It's amazing how invested we can get emotionally mm-hmm. in those people and their stories. And we react very strongly yeah. sometimes.
3: And it's something that's even worse when you binge watch because you're like absorb them. It's like reading a book, you know, where you don't put it down. They're like your friends, you know, mm-hmm. they're like part of your family.
0: Yeah. Now, with binge watching, you can often see the cliffhanger and then say, well, I'm going to watch just another 10 minutes or so to figure <laughs> out what happens. True. But think about those times when a movie comes out and you watch it and you get to the end. And then it's a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And then you get on Google and you're like, okay, when is the next one coming out? And it's like, there's not even a date yet. Mm -hmm. What? I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And I remember watching the movie version of The Fellowship of the Ring. And it ends with Gandalf falling and everybody crying. And you have to wait a whole year to find out what happens to Gandalf. Unless, of course, you've read the books, which I had, but I still couldn't wait. I wanted to see it on the screen anyway so (laughs) those are cliffhangers well here's the thing we were kind of unfair to our audience last week because we kind of did the same thing (laughs) we spent all last week talking about jonah and we left him in the belly of a fish and so for all weekend jonah's been stuck in this fish which is actually a good amount of time because mm-hmm. that's about how long he was actually in the fish. Before we dive into this week, let's just kind of revisit where we've been. So we talked last time about how Jonah is a surprising book. What are some of the ways that it was surprising?
3: I think Jonah's disobedience was surprising. I mean, that's such a big part of the story. And you look at the biblical heroes and think they always did everything God wanted, and da 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 da, and everything's tied up with a bow and. He just didn't want to do what God was asking him to do.
2: The prophet who wouldn't talk. That's a good way to put it. That's (laughs) right. And I think for the people of that day, maybe the biggest surprise would have been that God cared about Nineveh. Yeah. Absolutely. That would have been very unexpected. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why is that
0: so surprising?
2: Because they were the mortal enemies of Israel, and God loves Israel, therefore he can't love anyone else, right? Yeah. And (laughs) Plus, they were a cruel people. Yeah.
4: Their armies, the inhumane ways in which they treated their captives.
3: It's very hard for us to understand that God loves bad people, truly Mm -hmm. loves them as much as he loves us.
0: And especially our enemies, Mm -hmm. right? And so Jonah's called to go preach to Nineveh, the enemies of Israel. To me, the first big surprise, the reason we're even talking about this book is because I'm reading through the Old Testament. There's 39 books that are almost exclusively about this one people group and how much God loves them. And then out of nowhere comes this book of Jonah, or at least it seems that way. It's all about God's love for another people group Mm -hmm. and how refreshing that is in some ways in the Old Testament. We also talked about how... That word for evil, so the evil that's come up before me that God says Mm -hmm. about Nineveh, also can talk about calamity and experiences that the Ninevites have had that are negative. So, for example, it was a time of political uncertainty for them. There's a guy, Tiglath-Pilesar. T.P., Yeah, that sounds way better. The third, Um, he's not around yet. He's the guy that actually unifies Assyria, And so there's a lot of political uncertainty. There's diplomatic loss. There's these two omens that have happened that were a really big deal. There was an earthquake and there was an eclipse. And so for a superstitious people, which a lot of the ancient world is very superstitious, maybe a lot of us today too sometimes, those were big omens Mm. for what could be coming For the people Um, of Nineveh, you're saying? For the people of Nineveh. And then there were also these two groups of people, people from Aram, people from Arartu that had come in and really decimated the Ninevites at different points. So not only were they a rough people, as you mentioned, Mark, but they had also been going through some really tough stuff. And so the evil, the trouble that has come up before God is not just they're doing bad things, and I want you to go talk to them about that. Mm-hmm. But as we're going to see, it's also that he really cares for this group of people that is in a moment of uncertainty. Yeah.
2: Isn't it possible to Daniel that like with the earthquake and with the eclipse, that those could have even been ways God was preparing them to hear from Jonah when he finally showed up?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. A couple other things we talked about last week were the theme of the greats. And we talked about that Hebrew word, gadol, which means great. What were some of the examples of greats that we saw in the first two chapters? Nineveh, that great city. Great city. Mm
3: -hmm. I think we talked about the great storm.
0: The great storm. It was a great wind. And a great fish. And a great fish.
3: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. And then we talked about how there was an even greater God Mm -hmm. and that that God was in charge of everything. And the best picture of that was the sailors who cry out to their gods, little G-gods, And they're hoping that those gods might respond, but they have no real hope that they will. But there's a greater God who's over all of that. And then kind of humorously, we talked about a lot of hurling. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And there'll be some more when the fish spits out Jonah. Yeah, (laughs) that's kind of sick (laughs) What are some of the examples of hurling? Well, the Lord hurls the storm. That was the first one. Did they throw Jonah in the water? Oh, that's right. Yeah. They hurled could, him into the after water. After they hurled the cargo into yeah. the water. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <Okay>. All right. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, a lot of
3: hurling, as you said. Yeah.
2: And uh, <laughs> so Jonah tells
0: the sailors to hurl him in the water. The Lord hurls the great storm. The sailors hurl the cargo. It's also
3: a book about fear. How has it been a book about fear so far? Well, Jonah was terrified, but, mm-hmm. you know, he just didn't want to go to these evil people. And then he was terrified of God.
2: The sailors were afraid in the midst of the storm, and that's why they were throwing the cargo overboard and why they were praying to their little G gods, as you said, so. Yep.
0: Could it be assumed that the Ninevites might be afraid at this point? Because we know that they've had this earthquake, this eclipse, they're in this political uncertainty.
3: Brewing fear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: yeah, that's something I haven't thought about before. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, obviously, Jonah was afraid for his life, and we see that in his prayer from the belly of the fish. Mm-hmm. And just those first two chapters, what was the answer to their fear?
2: They cried out to the Lord, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that when they failed in crying out to their gods, when they cried out to the Lord, there was a response. They also were undoubtedly non-Jewish, pagans, different people group, different religion like the Ninevites. So how did they know they were calling out to a different god? Because of Jonah on the boat. Who told
0: them what? So the captain came to Jonah and said, hey, why are you sleeping? Get up here. Mm -hmm. You need to pray to your god too. and Jonah prays to his God, and then he tells them, hey, by the way, I'm a Hebrew, and I serve the one true God. And they're like, what are you thinking, not Mm -hmm. listening to God? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Jonah prays, and then he tells them to hurl him overboard, and then the storm ceases. And it says that great fear gripped the sailors because they realized, wow, we just talked to the real God. Mm -hmm. The real God is here. Mm -hmm. And so exactly, Bill, as you're saying, In each of these situations, each of these stories, there's fear present. And if there's one thing all of us can relate to in this book of Jonah, Mm. it's being afraid.
3: I'm kidding.
4: Yeah.
0: And so the beauty of this story, one of the beautiful things in this story, is that when we are afraid that there's a big G God that we can call out to who is in charge, who's greater than the storms in our lives, who's greater than the big fish that swallowed Jonah. And that's ultimately what this book is about. It's a book about deliverance. How have we seen deliverance so far in the first two chapters?
2: Well, the sailors were delivered from the storm. They were rescued from the storm. And that's maybe the biggest evidence so far.
0: Yep. And then Jonah, in his prayer to God, his psalm, what does he call God? A God of what?
3: Deliverance. A God of deliverance Mm -hmm.
0: in chapter Mm -hmm. 2, verse Mm 9. So the hinge for the rest of this book is this concept that God is a God of deliverance. Jonah is all about serving a God of deliverance. And he's been asked to introduce that God of deliverance to another people group. Mm. And so let's pick up the story. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Elisa, will
3: you read that for us? And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So So Jonah's delivered here. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonah's
0: delivered and we have just a little more hurling (laughs) in the story. Here's the point, as we go through the rest of this week, we serve a God who is very active in our lives, a God that when we cry out to him, he answers, a God of deliverance. As we listen for his voice in this story, may we hear him whispering to us, I'm here with you, and I love you, and I will take care of you. What does the term redo mean?
3: I like do-over. Is that
2: what you're talking about? Same type of concept. One more time. One more time. I prefer the term mulligan. (laughs) (laughs) What is a mulligan? It's in golf where you hit a really terrible shot and you say, okay, I'm going to take a mulligan and you try and hit a better shot and trust that you're playing partners are going to give you a little grace along the way.
3: And, you know, to be honest, there are times we have do-overs right here at the table where we'll have this conversation we think is so compelling and, you know, talking and going through scriptures and we'll get done and our wonderful Brian will go, "Mm, I think you got a better one in you. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And so the idea of a redo or a do-over is it's a second chance, right? We're going to look at a redo today in the scriptures. And I think it's pretty obvious. So just listen for that concept of a redo as we read the passage today. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 4. And let's just go around the table and read that.
3: Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you.
2: So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days
4: from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So where did we see the redo
0: or the do-over?
3: At the very beginning, (laughs) the word of the Lord came to Jonah A second time.
0: What happened the first time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah?
2: he was called to go east and he chose to go west.
3: Yeah. Way back in chapter one, it begins with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it.
0: But Jonah arose Mm -hmm. and did this. And so you have that key word, but in the first part of the Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. This time, Jonah arises and what does he do? He goes to Nineveh. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so we have this concept of a redo. It's literally the same phrasing at the beginning of the book and here in the middle of the book. But this time, Jonah decides to obey. And we talked a little bit about some of the fear Jonah might have had because Mm -hmm. he's going to the enemies and Mm -hmm. would he just walk into the city and get killed? But I think part of it, too... As we're going to find out in chapter four toward the end of this week, we find out the real reason Jonah yeah. didn't want to go. Sure. So then we have this concept of great again, that Hebrew word gadol. Where does it show up in this section?
2: Again, it's the great city Nineveh. And
0: how great of a city is it? It's exceedingly great. Exceedingly great. great. <laughs> so it's like, just in case you didn't get the picture, this city is really great and what it means is large, right? Yeah. Big or yeah. large, just like we had the large storm and the uh, huge fish. Now we have this exceedingly great city. It was so large
2: that it took three days to see it. What would that mean?
3: Mine says three days to go through it. Yeah. Okay. So a three-day yeah. walk across it? Which would it?
2: mean, in that culture, about 45 miles wow. from one side of it. Because they walk about 15 miles in a day. Is that what it would be? Yeah. Now yeah. that's an interesting
0: point, though. How big does it say the city is? A A what?
3: Three days to go through it or...
2: Three days to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep. And then how long was Jonah and the fish? Three days. Three days. So one of the really amazing things about this book is it's very narrative driven. It's very poetic. The person that put this book together was taking their time and they were trying to show this very clear progression of ideas. So the ideas rhyme. And so you have this repetition of ideas. Mm. So you have great, 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 great. The term evil you see evil 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 in several different sections you have this concept of three days in the fish and then three days in this great city and so I think one of the questions that we can maybe ask about this is why does God keep putting Jonah in these places where it's obviously for growth Yeah, he's still in the fire isn't he yeah and how often in our lives does God put us in very uncomfortable situations, yeah. or we find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, and there's that aspect of growth that's happening. Now, even at the end of this book, we don't know if Jonah gets it, which is one of the cliffhangers in this book. But for us, what are the situations in our lives that you can think of in which you are in one of
4: those places of fire, as you mentioned, Mart? Your annual review at work. (laughs) (laughs) How about the daily fears and insecurities of life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The daily concerns that we have for one another, for those that we love. The daily questions we have about our own future and whether or not we've messed up so much already Mm -hmm. that we've kind of made it difficult for God to work in and with us.
2: Yeah, we live in a variety of contexts, don't we? I mean, you're describing a very personal context, and that's huge i think also the more uncertain and unstable the larger context of a culture feels the more you feel the weight of that and the fear Mm -hmm. of that and the uncertainty that that produces
3: That's good, Bill. And I'm so struck by the fact that Jonah needed to be delivered as much as Nineveh needed to be delivered. And Mm. so when you're bringing up this whole concept of do-overs, you know, God continually invites us into relationship with him. And I've thought for many, many years, he's shown me this through my own brokenness, that he really cares just as much or maybe more about what he's doing in us Mm. as what he's doing through us. Us and we think, well, I'm serving God and look what's happening because I'm obedient, and, you know. And Jonah's not, mm-hmm. and it's like God wants to bring him to his own deliverance mm-hmm. and then yeah. use that experience as he helps the Ninevites. That's
4: good, yeah. So it almost sounds like he's saying, so for Jonah, it seemed like it was all about him. Mm-hmm. And yet we know from the story, it's all about, it's all about, it's all about, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, more than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and
3: it, isn't it kind of always that way? Yeah. You know, that these are not just vehicles that God picks up and uses, mm-hmm. instruments that he uses to write down. These are true lives that are going to be transformed by the power of relationship yeah. with God. And they're all interconnected.
2: Mm-hmm. And you get the same symmetry and rhythm, if you will, moving into the New Testament with Simon Peter, who failed and then gets restored. And And there's a three-day package in there, too. Oh, that's true,
3: And John Mark. We don't know if it's three days, but another restoration. Uh
2: So God really is kind of in the business Mm -hmm. of second chances, Daniel.
0: Yeah, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. And I think one of the really cool things about a story like Jonah is you see how, When God's kingdom comes, it can be about an individual and what God's doing in them. Mm. At the same time, it's also for the good of this city. At the same time, it's a story that's written down that's for our good. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's a story that challenges the Israelite nation. It's Mm -hmm. still a book that gets read today. God is this master of weaving these pieces together Mm. so that it is somehow one thing that's happening but it's for the good of all the people involved. Mm. So Jonah, three days in this great fish. Now he's gonna spend three days in this city. And Jonah's in the city looking at all the people that he had condemned. Mm. These were people he didn't wanna talk to. These were people he didn't wanna bring God's message to. I almost wonder if part of what God's intention was for putting him in this big city was, I want you to go look in the faces of the people Mm. that you think are not worthy of my love. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've judged someone or you've thought, I'm going to rule them out or whatever? Oh, sure. (laughs) Well, then you hear their story Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the perspective
2: transforms the way that you see them. We've talked about it at the table before, growing up as a child of the Cold War and basically being taught that the Russians were the most evil people on the face of the earth. And then my first international trip outside North America was to Moscow. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm meeting some of the warmest Kindest, mm-hmm. most Christ loving people yeah. I'd ever met. And you have to
3: reassess. And it's interesting, Daniel, your whole point, you know, that God says in 40 days he's going mm-hmm. to overthrow it. That's a long time for Jonah to be up close and personal with a people group that he didn't have any taste for. And that's a significant period to change your view.
4: It only takes experiencing that with a few people mm-hmm. to change your attitude towards mm-hmm. many. That's mm-hmm. right. You know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I just want to bring us back to that point that has kind of driven this conversation, and that is this idea of the redo or the do-over. We serve this God of second chances. Mm -hmm. He's giving Jonah every opportunity to see the people that God loves. He's giving Jonah the opportunity to be a part of this amazing story of God redeeming a people. He's giving Jonah a second chance at obedience, a second chance to live into the calling that God has for his life. There are so many times in our lives where we wonder if we've missed it or we think that we messed something up so much that there's no opportunity for us to see that situation redeemed. The story of Jonah tells us that not only is God a God of second chances for Jonah and for the people of Nineveh, but God is a God of second chances for us too.
1: Such a great message in this part of the surprising story of Jonah. God is the God of the second chance. And so how does Jonah do with his second chance? And what will the people of Nineveh do with their second chance? Well, more surprises are ahead as we discover more about Jonah and the surprising revival sparked by his message. A reason to celebrate God's mercy and loving kindness Well, surprise continues after this message. And before we get back to our study of Jonah, we wanna take just a moment to remind you about Bill Crowder's book called God of Surprise. Because while God is absolutely dependable, he is often from our perspective thoroughly unpredictable. God so many times intervenes in our lives in unpredictable, mysterious ways. His ways are so often not our ways. But when we reflect on the way that he has worked in the past, we can readily recognize how our wise God sometimes surprises us with his wisdom. Now this surprise theme runs throughout the Bible. In fact, Scripture is filled with stories of the surprising ways in which God is at work in the lives of men and women. Bill likes to call these but-God moments. And in his new book, Bill examines six of those moments, showing how God turns life on its ear while accomplishing his purposes. This would be a great follow-up to our study of Jonah to explore other passages where God works in surprising ways. So look for a link on our discovertheword.org website where you can get a copy of the book, God of Surprise, by Bill Crowder. And now, another amazing surprise from the story of Jonah. All right, name some of the
2: greatest revivals of all time. The Welsh Revival,
4: the Mm -hmm. 19th century.
2: Great Awakening in colonial America in the 1700s, I guess, would be one.
3: I just go to Billy Graham.
2: Why were they considered great? Well, just the volume of numbers. Involved of people turning to Christ, and even today we're hearing of huge revivals going on in Latin America, That's right, and in parts of Africa and, mm-hmm. and different places where there are just thousands and thousands Asia. of people coming to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's regional, like a great wind, you yeah. know, moving
4: across. That.
3: And to hear the really miraculous presentations of God's power, you know, in a lot of different non-Christian worlds where He's revealing Himself.
0: Well, this week we've been talking about the book of Jonah, and today we get to get to a really fun section because this is the great revival in the (laughs) book of Jonah. Before we read that, Bill, will you just read a verse that we read last time? Sure. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, and read what the words are that Jonah spoke to the people. Okay.
2: Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown.
0: Now, it's kind of funny because this is a prophetic book, and that's all of the prophecy in the book <laughs> you know usually it, a that line, huh? <laughs> prophetic book is full <laughs> okay. of a lot more of god's words or the words
4: that he gave the prophet to speak mm-hmm. and that's it in a predictive sense because sometimes sense. prophecy can be declarative too rather than just predictive but mm-hmm. yeah in the predictive sense
3: like this is going to happen He's yeah foretelling it mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah so it's really short And now we get to see how the people responded to this really, really short sermon. So let's read it. Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And we can just go around together.
4: The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put
2: on burlap to show their sorrow. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes.
4: And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Okay, so we've talked about how surprising this book is.
0: Does the reaction of the people of Nineveh and the king, is that surprising based on
2: the number of words that Jonah spoke? <laughs> well, not only based <laughs> on the number of words Jonah spoke, but also based on the character of the people as we've yeah. seen him described.
3: Mm. That they turned so... Seemingly easily.
2: Yeah, we're not talking about a, a family of people. We're talking
4: about a huge city. A huge city.
0: And next time we're going to find out just how many people were in this city. But the point is you have from the top down, from the king down, Jonah says handful of words. And we have one of these great revivals, a whole city. I mean, mm-hmm. just try to picture that in today's context. Pick a city, wherever you live, and think about what it would be like to speak a few words and for that entire city
3: that's crazy.
0: to mm-hmm. repent and turn. Mm-hmm. That is mind-blowing. Yeah, the tragedy is we don't have video. Wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> it would be so great to have a video <laughs> documentary of yeah, this and
2: see Jonah's face. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and that's one of the interesting points. Does it say they
2: believe Jonah? No. They believed God. And some years ago, I heard someone say one of the hardest things in ministry is remembering it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it's about us and our eloquence and our wittiness or whatever. It's not. If anything good happens, it's because God's involved and he's doing it. They believe God, not Jonah. That's right. And then how do they respond?
0: They call for a fast, and then what do they do? They put some clothes on. What kind of clothes do they put on? Sackcloth,
3: and it's all over them and their animals, which is interesting.
2: We see Job in sackcloth and mourning his losses.
3: David, right? Yeah. After the death of his son. And it's a gesture of mourning, of grief, and maybe too of repentance, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah.
0: So the idea is that you've gotten to this point of just absolute, I'm not going to eat, I'm going to cover up. Mm -hmm. I want this God to realize I'm taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. So seriously that I'm not going to eat and drink. So seriously that I'm going to take away this identity that I have in my clothing and just put myself on my face before this God and ask him to please be merciful. Mm -hmm. One of the phrases we see here, that term great again, (laughs) from the greatest to the least One of the things that's that's interesting if you think about the sackcloth is if all of them are wearing sackcloth, including the king, and it says from the greatest to the least, Mm -hmm. how would you be able to differentiate who the king and the nobles were versus the Mm -hmm. people? You can't. Have you ever heard that phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? What does that mean?
2: Well, I think the origin of that phrase was actually Robert E. Lee after the Civil War he went forward in a church service to pray at the front, and the only place open was next to a former slave. And he knelt next to that former slave, and one of his southern gentleman friends criticized him for it, and he said, the ground is level at the foot of the really? cross. That's I painful. never heard that before. I haven't either. That's beautiful but the story. idea
4: is so much greater even than that, isn't yes, it? I mean it That's really interesting. Yeah. But the idea seems like it ought to be expressed specifically in scripture, because it's so true
3: let me just throw in a thought here too. You know, maybe animals are even less. So this is all the way from the greatest to the least, even the animals. You can't maybe even tell the difference between a human and an animal.
4: Well, their life as well is dependent upon the God, the creator, the sustainer of of all life, human and animal.
0: And what's incredible in this story is you have the king who puts on sackcloth as well. And One of the commentators was mentioning, we don't know how repentant the king was. I don't think it's right for us to judge his heart anyway. But it is interesting that he responds after the people. Mm -hmm. In this story, we see the people respond, and then the king responds, which is one of the things that indicates what we talked about earlier, about there's not this unified Assyria yet, Mm -hmm. but there's these individual cities and these individual kings, and it's very unstable politically. The king and the nobles respond after the people respond. Because you see
3: in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed.
0: So you have the king, you have the people, they're all in sackcloth. They're all crying out to God. How does God respond?
3: Well, I love the way Mart's translation read. I think you said that God changed his mind. My translation says he relented, but... Changed his mind is a Mm -hmm. very graphic phrase.
4: And did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Do we see that anywhere else in scripture, this idea of God relenting or changing his mind in
2: that way? Well, in Exodus, we see Moses interceding for the people of Mm -hmm. Israel here in the early days of their life as a nation. They sin against God and God says, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. And Mm -hmm. Moses intercedes on their behalf.
4: It's interesting, isn't it? Because if you just go with Jonah's message, his message was, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. It's like those words were not true.
3: Because isn't it a test of a true prophet that the words that are uttered come true? Interesting. That was one of the verifiable
2: test. But I wonder, I think that even for the Ninevites, there was a hint of grace in the term 40 days. If God was just going to wipe them out, he could have wiped them out. He didn't need to send Jonah. That's true. He didn't need to send a messenger. The fact that he sent a messenger and gave them space is an indication that maybe grace is available. Yeah, they gave them reason to say, maybe if we do Mm -hmm. respond and Mm -hmm. repent.
0: You worded it exactly how they did. Mm -hmm. Maybe If we cry out, he will respond. That's the same phrasing that we saw with the sailors. Remember? The sailors are on the boat and they're like, perhaps, perhaps if we call out Mm -hmm. to God, he will answer. And you have that same response here, perhaps. And maybe that's why they went so far. Right? Maybe that's the reason that they put sackcloth on. We're not going to eat or drink until God shows up. And of course, God does. Now, as I think we can imagine, we would expect the book to end here, right?
2: God has had a chance to show his mercy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, God has shown his mercy. Well, that's not where the story ends. And next time we'll get to talk about where the story actually ends. But I do want to leave us with this thought today. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, the Lord responds with mercy and grace. And what a beautiful picture that we get to see here. Israel's enemies, people that aren't supposed to be a part of God's family. This is the Old Testament. God's not supposed to care about other people. And yet here's a story where God shows his love and his mercy to a group of people that didn't deserve it. Have you ever had a gut instinct that something was going to happen? And were you right?
4: You know, the question is general. Yeah, there have been so many times when there's just been a sense something is not going to go well here, and it didn't.
3: Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, I go straight to... Late nights pacing in front of our living room window, looking at the street, waiting for a teenager to come home. Just this foreboding. Did it always happen? No. But if it happened one time, (laughs) then my rut got worn in the floor harder.
4: You just said, something's not right about this. Mm -hmm. They should have been home by now. Mm
3: -hmm. Exactly.
0: Something in our gut, something in our mind, either it's not right or it's, hey, I think something really good's getting ready to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. Well... This is one of those pictures where we get to see Jonah, this hero in the Bible, so to speak, one of the people that shows up. He had a gut instinct, too. Sometimes it's hard for us to see the humanity of people in the Bible. Jonah, we get to really see how human he is in a lot of ways. And today we're going to read about Jonah's gut
3: instinct. What happened in our last discussion before we read this? Well, the word of the Lord had come to Jonah a second time. He Mm -hmm. got a do-over.
0: Yep, he got a do-over.
3: And he gave a very brief... Prophecy from the Lord 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed, which filtered up to eventually the king himself believing, and they repented in yeah. case God might relent, which he did. He changed his mind and did not wipe them out. Right. So all of us want to respond with
0: woohoo, yes, <laughs> right? Dun, dun, dun. The story should yep. be over now. They repented. This is, I mean, like, think about it. Jonah is a professional prophet, he's a professional minister. The dream of a professional minister is to preach and have a whole city respond. <laughs> the word would get around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, he's going to get a really good speaking fee for the rest yep, of his life. Yep, and on the cover of Time. Yeah, but that's not how it ends. Jonah. Well, let's just read it. Jonah chapter four, verses one through three. But it greatly displeased Jonah. Wait, what? <laughs> read that again. That cannot be what the Bible says. And but, that comes.
3: Uh, sorry, that comes right after God relenting. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry.
3: It
0: gets worse. (laughs) Not only did it displease, he gets angry. What is he angry about?
4: Let's read this again and go back over. Okay. He, God, changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and that part I relate to because changes of plans aren't always welcome. <laughs> it's confusing. So isn't he complained it? to the mm-hmm. Lord about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't I say before I
4: left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you're a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, you're eager to turn back from destroying people. And how does he finish? Now, and Now,
3: Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. What?
0: <laughs> we talked about how surprising this book is. We finally get to the real reason Jonah didn't want to go. I like to do this sometimes, and just bear with me for a second. Okay, if I was Jonah and put this into my own words, how would I have responded to God? And this is kind of how I see Jonah, what he's saying, Right. I knew it. <laughs> I knew you were going to show them grace. It's just like you. You do this every time. Oh, it's just like you to do something like this. These people are enemies. Do you not remember, God, that like they're your enemies too? Remember? Because like I'm an Israelite, and you love the Israelites, and these are our enemies, so they're supposed to be your enemies. What is the deal? That's why I tried to run away from you. I knew it. I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew that you were merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relenting from disaster. Can you please just kill me now? Because this is more <laughs> than I can now. bear.
3: Kill me now.
2: Hey, man, you're a mess. <laughs> I know, right? You know, in my translation, in verses two and three, Jonah uses first person singular pronouns eight times. Mm. What are me, they? Wait. You... I, me, My, me, I, (laughs) me, my, I. I mean, maybe gives us a hint as to what his issues are. Mm. He loved God and had a wonderful plan for God's life. Uh, And God chose not to act it
0: out. (laughs) How surprising is it that we have this person that knows God so well, Mm -hmm. and the reason he did not want to obey God's call to go preach is because he did not want God to show grace. Now, what's interesting is, Jonah loves it when God's a God of deliverance for him. Remember in uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, where he declares that God is a God of deliverance? He's in the belly of the big fish, and he's praying this prayer. He already feels a little delivered because he got thrown into the ocean in the middle of a huge storm. Mm -hmm. He thought he was dead at that point. He didn't die. This great fish swallowed him, and for some reason he's living in this fish. He already experienced God's deliverance. Then the fish Spits him up on the shore. He experiences God's deliverance again. Then he gets the opportunity, a do-over, a second chance, which all of us so many times in our lives long for these second chances. Jonah gets that second chance. He loves it when deliverance is about him, not so much when it's about his enemies.
4: Do you think it was possible that it was I, me, my, okay, it was also we, us, what are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? What's my nation going to think?
3: What's... A nationalist nationalist, kind of understanding of
4: God. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If he was like the point person for that nation, Mm -hmm. and when they heard that he had been used, maybe it was a we are, us as well. That's
3: good. And there is no doubt that God specially loved the Israelites. They were his chosen people. But what is Jonah doing wrong here? Why is he pushing back this way? What's going on in his worldview that doesn't fit with God's sovereignty?
4: It's his nationalism, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. It's his theology. Mm -hmm. It's his belief that God has chosen this nation to be his special people, forgetting what God said to Abraham for the sake of all.
3: Okay, so maybe it's the issue of taking that too far in terms of God has Mm -hmm. chosen Israel, but that doesn't mean he won't also choose others.
2: I think in the Old Testament, they were very much like us. They were very happy to pick the parts of Scripture that Mm -hmm. they like and Mm -hmm. ignore the parts they didn't. They pick the part of, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and they ignore to be a blessing to all peoples.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's an exclusivity. There's something like, this is for me, and if it's for you, somehow it diminishes that it's for me. A kind of a scarcity mentality, which we all slip into. Oh, we do. You being special makes somehow me less special. And it's just a lie. It's not true. There is an infinity amount of God's love available.
0: How does God respond to Jonah's temper tantrum, (laughs) for lack of a better term? Is it
3: right for you to be angry?
0: Is it right for you to be angry? Right after this, we read how Jonah basically Slams the door and runs out, goes, sits up on a hill. He builds himself a little booth. And uh, the reason he does is because it's so hot. And he sits up there on the hill because he's still holding out hope that God might still destroy them. Well, he's got 40 days. God could change his mind again, right? right? Uh. And so he goes up on the hill and it's super hot. And then God plants this little plant and it offers shade to Jonah. Another picture of God's grace and mercy toward this guy that's just not getting it. And then it says, God appoints a worm and the worm comes and it eats that plant. And Jonah starts cursing again and, ah, my life is terrible and all that. Did God ask Jonah, go sit up on the hill in the heat and suffer?
3: No. No. No.
0: Sometimes in our lives, bad things happen, but sometimes we put ourselves in situations because we're so stubborn. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: And so Jonah's up there, God shows him grace, brings the plant. Then God sends the worm And it kills the plant. And Jonah just, life is terrible now again. Even though Jonah's putting himself in the situation, in the heat, sitting up on the hill Mm -hmm. because he wants that group of people to still die. That is Mm -hmm. Jonah's whole point. Can we just read Jonah chapter 4, verses 9 through 11? This is right after the plant
2: gets killed. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant,
4: though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city?
0: God sends this worm. It kills the bush. Jonah gets so concerned about this bush we have this beautiful metaphor and word picture that God's using to say, Jonah, look, look at you. Look in this mirror that I'm trying to hold up before you. You're concerned about a plant. There are 120,000 people in front of you. Why should I not be concerned about them? Should I not love them? Should I not look out for what's in their best interests? Jonah, remember who I am. I'm a God of steadfast love. I'm slow to anger. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. You care about this plant. Join
1: me in caring for the people. Daniel Ryan Day, Marte Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder around the table for this study of the story and message of the minor prophet Jonah. Uh, just one more 10-minute conversation left in this study that we've called Surprise because there have been a lot of surprises and twists and turns in this story, haven't there? One last one to go, and I guess this one won't be a tremendous surprise, because we often talk about how the entire story of Scripture is pointing to and leading to Jesus. But I think we'll see that comes out in surprising ways in Jonah, after this quick word about where we'll be studying in our next podcast together. I don't know if you remember, it's been a while, but a couple of decades ago, there was a song that came out called What's Love Got to Do With It. Y'all remember that? Is it Tina Tina Turner? Turner? Yeah. That's it. it. And the funny thing, even though it came out when I was like a kid, I always thought it was such a provocative question for a pop song. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it really gets to the heart of the importance of love. Rasul Berry joins Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day in looking at some sections of scripture that help us answer the question, what's love got to do with it? Because as we're going to discover, when it comes to following Jesus, love has everything to do with it. I think the answer to that question is kind of like everything, as far as it relates to the gospel. Love is the central theme, not just of the gospel, but really of the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. What's love got to do with it? Discover the word with the group next time. And now let's see the surprising way that Jonah whispers or maybe even shouts Jesus' name. What is a
4: reveal? Have you ever
0: heard that term before? A reveal?
4: hmm It's like the curtains are parted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Open the curtains.
3: Yeah. You use that term when you're watching a, a makeover program where like you're having a physical makeover on your hair and your makeup and your clothes or on a house mm-hmm. fixer-upper kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And usually you have a whole gathering of people, like you mentioned, the makeup and Mm -hmm. clothes Mm -hmm. and all that. You'll have a whole family and friends that are waiting there to see this person Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. the couple, like you said, with Fixer Upper. They're Mm -hmm. standing there and they have a picture of the old house in front of the new house so that you get this first, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we've been talking the last two weeks about the story of Jonah. Jonah has a reveal but it doesn't show up until the New Testament. And so we're gonna look at where is mentioned in the New Testament, and it gives us the context for why, maybe one of the reasons Jonah was included in the Bible altogether. <laughs> but before we do that, this is the end of two weeks of talking about the book. What have we discovered together?
2: Well, it's a prophetic book that doesn't have much prophecy in <laughs> yeah. it, I think, very short prophetic message of uh, judgment that actually ends up not happening. Yeah, yeah. it's supposed to happen in 40 days. Yeah. Lord's going to destroy
4: the city in 40 days, but it doesn't happen.
3: Mm-hmm. You could see that God is a God of great compassion. And you also see a prophet who wasn't obedient, and that's mm-hmm. a rarity.
2: It's a story about the disobedience of the prophet and the obedience of the pagans.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jonah didn't like their obedience, and he continued. I mean, even though he obeyed God and gave the word of the Lord to the people, the Ninevites, who repented, Jonah was mad at God for mm-hmm. being so kind and gracious.
4: Yeah, we said, too, it may be that he was obviously concerned about himself, but probably also concerned about his family and his nation. And this Mm -hmm. just didn't seem right to be going to the enemy and seeing the enemy receive God's mercy and compassion as he had shown Israel.
0: Yeah. So a prophet that runs away from God, pagans on a boat that repent, Mm -hmm. (laughs) pagans in a city that Mm -hmm. repent, and a prophet that ran away from God at the beginning, and at the end he's angry with God because of God showing grace. And last time we got to talk about the way the book ends. It ends with a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know how he responds. Should I not care about them? That is the challenge of the book, though. All of us have those people in our lives that are enemies or that we just don't like, and the last thing that we would want is for God to show them grace,
2: if we're really honest. Yeah, it's almost as if when Jonah repeatedly asks God to kill him, it's almost as if he's saying, I would rather die than live in a world where my enemies are allowed to know you. Yeah.
0: And so last time we were left with this cliffhanger, what does Jonah do? How does he respond? Well, one of the cool things about the story of Jonah is there's a reveal. In the New Testament, we get to look back on Jonah with a fresh set of eyes, a new lens. You know, one of the things that we talk about, thanks to Sally Lloyd-Jones and her Jesus Storybook Bible is that every story whispers his name Mm. Well, Jonah whispers his name because Jesus says, hey, this is a picture of me. And so let's look at where that shows up. First, let's read Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41.
3: Okay. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth.
2: The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here.
0: And then this also shows up in Luke chapter
4: 11, verses 29 and 32. The crowd is pressing in on Jesus and he says... This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God.
0: So what is the sign that they're looking for? This is something that shows up in the New Testament a few times, where people ask Jesus for a sign. What does that mean?
2: They're wanting him to perform some miraculous deed to prove the claims that are being made about him.
3: And they're again looking for an earthly king, a Messiah. But he is that, but he's mm-hmm. coming in a revolutionary way. Yeah. And what's interesting is we're talking about Matthew chapter
0: 12, Luke chapter 11. Have any signs and miracles happened yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Quite a few. Yeah.
0: They have this history of signs from Jesus, they've seen all of these miraculous things. In the same way that Jonah saw God deliver him from the ocean saw God deliver him from this big fish, fish. Mm -hmm. saw God deliver this great city, saw God deliver him from the heat. He's seen these deliverances over and over and over again, and yet he still has this stubbornness within him, stubbornness that I think you and I can probably relate to, Mm -hmm. where we just want one more thing. Can you just show me one more thing to prove that you do love me, that you do want what's best for me, that you do exist? Those are the signs, I think, that, Maybe these crowds are looking for too. But if he were to give them that sign, do you really think they would believe at this point? Right? Because what does Jesus say that the sign is that they will see?
3: The son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth.
0: Yeah. So just like Jonah was stuck in this great fish and then delivered, Jesus, the son of man is going to be in the earth for three days and then he's going to be delivered. That's the sign that is coming. Now, it says that the people of Nineveh would rise up and condemn this generation. Why do you think that is there?
2: He's pointing to what seems to be a readiness to repentance in the Gentile nations that his chosen people weren't expressing. In Jesus' experience, he raises a
4: man named Lazarus from Mm -hmm. the dead. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the religious leader says, we have to kill him now. And they want to kill Lazarus too. Yeah, they went to ki- Yeah, and kill Lazarus as well, mm-hmm. because they're afraid mm-hmm. that people would believe in Jesus. Yeah.
3: But this reference you're speaking of, Daniel, from Matthew 12, says the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So this is like in the future. This is almost like another prophecy, because they repented, and this generation is isn't, and something greater than Jonah is Jesus, and they can't recognize him.
0: Yeah. And how many words did the people of Nineveh have to go on? It was like five. Five Hebrew words, a very short prophecy, and yet they respond. You've seen all of this stuff that Jesus has done, and you haven't responded. But I think we might be able to even relate to that in some ways, because we've seen God do some pretty amazing things in our lives, too. And yet we still get into a situation where life seems to be falling apart, and we get anxious. Well, why are we anxious? Well, anxious means that we're not trusting, that we're overwhelmed by the fear in our lives, that we're concerned with the circumstances that surround us in this moment, God's already delivered us in many ways, and yet we're anxious again. Mm -hmm. I think all of us can read this story and realize, wow, I kind of struggle with some of those same things, Mm -hmm. where even though God has this history, this timeline of faithfulness, I still struggle sometimes to really trust Him.
3: Well, and there's maybe a little bit deeper issue that we've touched on that I think is worth repeating, and that's that we really sometimes don't like the way God works. You know, I might trust Him, but I don't agree with Him. Mm -hmm. I would do it differently, and He makes me mad. And that's hard for me to accept in myself, but I do see that. You know, I will judge where He doesn't, as if I have that right.
0: And so I think the challenge for us in this story of Jonah... And then as we fast forward to the story of Jesus, as he looks back on the story of Jonah, is that it challenges our idea of how small in our minds God's love and mercy is. And it blows that up so that God's love and his mercy is so much bigger than we could have imagined to include all peoples of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all lifestyles. The people that we look at and we think, I don't think God could love them anymore. They've gone too far. God's love and His mercy is so big that it includes everyone. And maybe for the first time, not only for those of us who maybe feel that it's hard for God to love us or we feel unlovable, maybe it's people that feel like they've made mistakes and that there's no way that they could come into a relationship with God. Maybe it's people that have seen other people make mistakes and they've ruled them out from experiencing God's mercy and His grace. Maybe for the first time, you and I can experience and then we can express to others this God who is gracious and merciful, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he's ready to relent from punishing.
1: Daniel Ryan Day, concluding this study that he's been leading with Mark Dehan, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder called Surprise, here on Discover the Word. We just finished a series on the book of Jonah and how the story of how God called Jonah to reach out to the Ninevites points us to the everlasting hope that's found for all of us in Jesus. hope you've seen how Jonah's story really is part of the bigger story that the whole Bible is telling. Well, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And thanks for remembering that Discover the Word is made possible by the gifts of friends like you. For more than 80 years, Our Daily Bread Ministries, which was originally known as Radio Bible Class, has been telling the story of Jesus and focusing on making the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And you can become part of that mission by giving a gift of any amount to support Discover the Word. Simply visit our website at discovertheword.org. You'll see how to give there when you click on the Donate tab. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hettinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.